Hey, Sarah. Yes, Josh? Are you ready? I think so. Great. But before we start, we here at the Puppa Pod, along with Dixon Place, stand with love in solidarity with Black, Indigenous, and persons of color in our communities and across the country against racism, white supremacy, and police brutality. And for more information and specifics on our respective anti-racism statements and plans of action, please visit DixonPlace.org and ShakeOnTheLake.org to find out how we're listening, learning, and working within our communities. Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Hi, my name is Storm Thomas. I think puppetry is a tool, no more, no less. I feel like puppetry is very hard because it requires a lot of outside work. It requires a lot of tools. It requires a lot of know-how. And it requires you to take that know-how and make it very small. Hello, hello, humans of the world, and welcome back to another episode of the Puppet Pod. Uh, if you've been listening to all of these and you're this deep in, I just gotta say thanks. Uh, thanks for listening to a podcast about a very niche world and one that is primarily visual and doing so in this auditory format. We certainly appreciate it, and I know someone else that appreciates it, which is my pal and uh, the person that's helping make this whole thing happen, Sarah Stabley. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. It's uh, you, you assume a lot when you say that I appreciate it. Oh, just kidding, just well, kidding. I totally do. I totally appreciate it. Uh... All right, listeners, just so you know, Sarah does not appreciate you, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Cold-hearted. Um, cold-hearted snake. But, you know, that's how it goes. Um, speaking of snakes uh, and mice and animals of the world, Sarah, you had a mouse problem. How's the mouse in your house? Oh, well, um, Dr. Seuss, uh, I have not seen the mouse again. Uh, I did put out traps, but there's nothing in the traps. So I'm not really sure. I do, however, have a rogue squirrel who's been living on my roof and tossing walnut shells at my window like a spite squirrel kind of he is pretty spiteful um like we made eye contact earlier today through my window when i was trying to work yeah and it just stared at me it like dared me to come get it knowing that i can't man this is one of those not so good nature moments but it's fine. Well, I feel like... It's a squirrel. It's a tree rat. You know, yes. Yes. And I feel like, and as many listeners who have actually listened to these episodes might know, animals are getting bolder, aka the snake that is in the theater right now. Because we've kind of paused ourselves and been at rest, the animals are coming out in ways that maybe we've never seen before, Sarah. And I think the squirrel, you know, might be... Um, might be just feeling its place in the animal kingdom, and you are below it. You are below it. What? No, no, I will not accept that. No? This the squirrel's going down, okay? Like, <laughs> I am not going to be lower on the food chain than a damn squirrel. Well, you lost the staring contest already, so that's, that's on you. <sighs> it's only because I didn't have anything to throw back at it. Mm, blame it on the encapsulation in your apartment. Okay, that's fine. It's true. I'm quarantined. Protecting that squirrel. Mm -hmm. 
protecting that squirrel's health. That's what I'm doing. It should thank me. Well, animals aside, I think we're doing relatively okay in the world. And uh, another person who I know is doing relatively okay in the world uh, joining us today, one of my favorite people and uh, one that I've recently become reacquainted with after a little bit of time and of us not talking. And it's so pumped to have this human on the podcast. Storm Thomas is here. Hey, what's up? Well, you know, I, I want to let you know that since COVID has hit the world, I've seen five snakes which I see as a sign because I rep house Slytherin all day, all night. <laughs> so I'm feeling pumped by the signs outside. I love that the nature's taking over. It's been a tough, very difficult time, of course, in the globe overall, in each individual life. But to see nature kind of jumping back out, that gives me hope. That gives me um, happiness, excitement. I'm really into it. <laughs> I love that uh, rah-rah attitude about snakes because that is yeah. certainly not my attitude, but um <laughs> trying to come around. Storm, as we all have kind of been experiencing the same thing, this worldwide phenomena, uh, how have you and your family been holding up? We've been great. We've been, well, in March, we went up to Maine. We were living with um, my wife's brother and um, his wife's family, and that was really exciting. Then we came down, we spent another big chunk of time with my wife's parents, and that was a really exciting time. You know, it's kind of tough blending your life with in-laws baby boomer in-laws <laughs> but it was a really wonderful time i mean we ate we drank we talked we learned so many stories um and i feel like just blessed that if we were not um if we were not able to have met up with them we wouldn't have been able to reap those really, these really wonderful rewards, these great stories, stories about their parents, their parents' parents. And um, that's really what has been the most exciting piece of this moment. Then we hopped back to Brooklyn. We got to see our friends. Now we're back in Massachusetts and Ray is just running around with his cousins, having the most wonderful time. And we would never have had this opportunity to get together without everybody taking a break to to um deal with with a you know a global health pandemic you know so that uh, yeah there's yeah. all there's always this bittersweet mm -hmm. in this so that that's the sweet we all know the bitter yeah 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 so that's how we're doing. We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, that's good to hear, uh, all things considered. And it makes my, my heart happy knowing that as, as a friend of yours. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess I'm curious for you, because since you and I last talked before you were on the podcast, you were considering making an interesting move uh, away from artistry, maybe to like a different type of artistry in a certain way, toward engineering. And I wondered if maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. I mean, well, it's funny because this is a moment where I think a lot of artists everywhere are taking stock and asking themselves the question, A, can I afford 
whether it's um, money, whether it's emotionally, can I afford to keep doing this? Um, you know, when, when the rug is pulled out from under you, when those shows or those gigs or whatever, when they're gone, it, it always comes back to that question. And I think artists are always asking themselves that again and again and again. And in this moment, maybe they're getting different answers. Mm. Um, so I started to, I, I mean, in this moment, yeah, of course, I started to look outside of the art world and, and think, okay, these are the skills that I have. These are the passions that I have. I like making things. I like putting things together. I like, you know, finishing projects. So, uh, these certain dynamics that I think flow very deeply into puppetry. How can I take these and, um, and, and shift them into an area which without doing anything extra, it ultimately pays more. And I think a lot of people are asking themselves that question. I don't know if it pays more. I do know that when I asked that question of myself, I said, you know what? Engineering is exciting for me. Electronics, um, um, mechatronics, physics. These are all things that when I look back on my life, I've actually always had an interest in. I've always, always had an interest in when I, you know, talked to my sister about some of my life plans. She said, wow, I'm really not surprised at all because when, I, when you were a kid, I thought you were going to be an engineer or an architect. So your theater path is what was surprising to me. And as you're shifting that same kind of like sensibility into, into a different area, that makes sense. So that, that's really where I'm coming from. And, and, you know, many years ago, specifically through my theater life, musicals that I've written, I found myself wanting very specific props. For example, I wrote this musical called Ancient Future. One of the characters in it is Huck, an AI puppet. That's what we said, okay? And it, it was almost like an archive. Um, the puppet itself was the text of the puppet is playing the role of um, the accumulator, the, the, the um, understander of the source material that went into making the play. And so when we were physicalizing that, I found myself really trying to figure out how can we make this not just mechanical, not, not arms and legs, but rather the things that are moving, the joints that are, are being articulated are within the sphere of the puppet, within, you know, um, tying it to, thinking of the joints ultimately as the projection that is coming out of the puppet. And so from there, I really started to kind of get really invested in single board computing, Arduino, Raspberry Pi, building stuff that does stuff, that's puppetry to a T. And then we'll see what happens, kind of, or we'll, we'll see what kind of world it lives in. And so I, I don't see it as necessarily a departure, but rather kind of a fulfilling the ultimate circle that I maybe have always been walking towards this path. And I needed to walk through these places so that I can carry them with me into these next steps right this this engineering um degree or program is going to be much bettered by having these life experiences that i've already had um 
the sensibility, the, the, the engineering of story, I think, is where I've always, always, always been at. So I'm feeling really excited about um, jumping in in the fall to like an online, everybody's online, an online engineering program that is, um, you know, kind of supplemental to the theater work that I'm already doing, the musicals, the work in musicals that I've already been doing. That's super exciting. Super, super exciting. And it's so funny, like, um, during my grad school experience, I kind of went in, I went in for the media studies program, but I found myself drawn to those like making classes that yeah, the Arduinos, the Raspberry Pis, the coding, like, and there is such artistry in that alone, like beautiful code is really awesome to play with and fun to create but those things overlap so much and it does it is often shocking to me that those like areas at least academically didn't seem to overlap in my experience like you had the media studies coding engineering and then you had like engineering coding engineering right and they benefit so much from being merged totally Um, I mean the idea that academic um areas of studies are separated even at a base level, I think is wrong. Right. No, it's so true. I think everything in life is so merged together. And when you can take, um, when you can take in separate discourses and blend them, you find truth more than you do when you have, you have them separated. You have um, truth with an asterisk, like, okay, this is science, but this is only science that's like not related to art or not related to physics, but that's not how it really works. Yeah. So I feel inspired by, I mean, I feel inspired by interdisciplinary programs and I feel like you find the most, it's most common to find an interdisciplinary program in the liberal arts or in the arts itself, which are more um, open to the idea of interdisciplinary um, study itself. Yeah. I, I feel like, so much of the work that we did, at least in grad school, because you and I both were at Sarah Lawrence. And Sarah Lawrence. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Another shout out squirrels, to Sarah Lawrence. That's the Griffins. Right. Yeah. Griffins. All day. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think the unofficial black squirrels, right? Because there yes. were so many of them that like, well, I ran I think it was campus. the black squirrels for a long time. And then they just, I think it was recent that they adopted the Griffins because they were trying to up their sports profile or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, funny, funnily enough, I was the PA announcer for the men's basketball team at Sarah Lawrence nice. College. Which, the fact that they had one is hilarious. And they were they had terrible. <laughs> Well, you know. They would have been better with you, Storm. Yeah, you know what? Next time I go to grad (laughs) school there. (laughs) That's right. Next time you go back. When we both go back. Um, Yeah. Well, speaking of Sarah Lawrence and also kind of like the work that you and I both, I think, like to make, it kind of lives in that thing that you were just describing, this like multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary world. Mm, And mm -hmm. uh, puppetry, I think, is so much of that in so many ways, whether it's the visual art aspect of it, um, sculpting or painting or design, Mm -hmm. or getting into the mechanics of building and engineering and understand the physics and creating some of these designs um, Mm -hmm. to dance and having a dance background and movement and a choreographic Mm. background. Um, So I'm curious for you, when you came to Sarah Lawrence, 
was this puppetry world like even something you were even like considering? That is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful question because it really, really was not. <laughs> Honestly, I felt like bullied into it in a certain <laughs> way by, yes, you already know, by our professors. But I feel, I mean, I do feel deeply grateful for that. Um, for that bullying? Not so gentle <laughs> nudge, yeah. I'm sure. Well, I mean, when I came to it, I did have a conversation with Dan Herlin, of course, where he was he was like, oh, you should take this puppetry class. And I was like, thank you, but no, thank you, <laughs> sure. And he was like, I don't know. I think you should really take it. He just really pushed me into it in a certain sense. Um, and so I was like, you know what, fine, I'll take it, whatever. Oh, sure, I'll take it. And I really, I mean, I really just fell into it. Um, the physical process, the the making, the building, the development, um, but also the uh, the theories. I think those are the things that ultimately still stand out to me the most. Um, the things that I've learned about humanity from it, I think, are are the things that really stand out to me the most. Um, just this idea, this knowing about humans that if you take a stick, right, and you move it in a certain way, people will feel empathy for that stick. I felt like, well, has always stood out to me as a really powerful metaphor, as a really powerful truth, because, you know, I am black, I'm mixed, I am, you know, transgender non-conforming. Everything I've ever known is interdisciplinary. Everything I've ever thought is intersectional. It, it can't be just one for me. And I, I've never been able to kind of separate things in that way. And in some ways it's a fault. And in some ways, in many other ways, it's, it's the biggest blessing of my life. And so to know that humans, the, the gut instinct of humanity is to actually share generously empathy, not just for people, but for objects I started to really, that really started to get the gears of my mind moving because, because I belong to a people, many different types of people, many communities, which struggle to find empathy in the world around them, struggle to find understanding. And so to know that it is a gut truth of humanity to share that kind of empathy, well, that seems like an equal sign. If I can do this, and I can show this in this physical way, maybe it will be easier for people to map the type of empathy that the community is yearning for onto that community, even if it's through an object. Um, and, and I think that the objectness of the puppet is, is the major metaphor. It's the most important kind of piece. It's not an actor, it's a puppet. And so because of it, I don't have to worry Oh, uh, you know, I wonder if that actor's breath smells or <laughs> do they really care about what they're doing? It's pure. It's a, it, it's a pure metaphor. And I don't really care for the word pure as, um, as a positive value statement, but I do care about efficiency in, in that certain sense. And so the purity of the me metaphor, I think, helps to efficiently carry a message. Uh, but then when I went home, okay, I went home and I told my parents, particularly my dad, hey, I'm really into puppetry right now. 
and my dad, I mean, he just started calling me Geppetto everywhere, every, every chance he could get. I thought it would, I think it was really difficult for people outside of this um, Sarah Lawrence institution, the people who are in my life and who care about me. I think it was difficult for them to understand what I was doing or why, or why it was interesting to me, or even where it came from. They thought I was going to learn a certain kind of theater and Sarah Lawrence is 100% not that kind of theater. So everything I was bringing home was so wild, so radical, so different. Uh, and it was a little bit tough in a certain way to explain. But uh, I mean, I think that it has made me, Sarah Lawrence especially, the puppetry department. I mean, I wanna shout out specifically working with Lake, specifically working with Lake. Um, I changed my brain. It just changed my brain. She said some things to me in, in independent study, in our full classes, set design, puppetry, everything that have just changed the way that I think about art, changed the way that I think about the world. One of them is um, I was kind of like painting a tree for a set design, something random. And she came over and she was like, well, this is great. Awesome. I think it would be better if you stopped trying to make it look like a tree. If you made it look like a piece of art that is about a tree, people are going to go with you wherever you want to take them more, even more so than if you made it look exactly like a tree. And I take that with me everywhere I go and everything I do. Um, Marissa Clementi, who is also a Sarah Lawrence graduate in the dance department and who also had Dan Herlin for composition. Um, we're married, we make work together. We've been making work together in the past. And um, what we do is ultimately, we've been looking at the intersection between dance and puppetry, which is, is so clear. I mean, what it takes to puppeteer a puppet is a dance. It is a choreography. And so being able to get, you know, one person or three people together and choreograph that, right? It opened us up to a, a certain kind of niche within puppetry. We sat there and we talked to each other for hours and hours and we realized, well, why is it that the puppeteer is supposed to disappear? They're supposed to put on all this black clothing and that makes them like not there or something. And so that's the area we started to, cut, to try to innovate with, where we set out our pieces, particularly Ancient Future. We set out all of our puppeteers to be characters, to be true characters, speaking to the puppet, speaking to the audience, speaking to each other, dialogue all over. And, and not just that they are characters, but that they're self-aware, that they know they're puppeteers, that the puppets know that they're puppets. And kind of following down that, that path, we... I don't know, we just found something that was exciting, something that I think allows the audience to relax and not feel like I need to be actively um, letting this disbelief go, that it's kind of like, okay, well, I know what I'm seeing is a puppeteer and a puppet, and all of a sudden they're talking to each other and they're talking about being a puppet and, I mean, we wanted to step out in that area, especially with this piece, Ancient Future, because 
it felt like it would help with what it is that I was originally looking for with puppetry to bring in, to double down on the way that puppetry builds empathy within the human, within humanity. And we want it to be not just for the puppet or for the idea of the puppet, but for the person who is carrying the metaphor physically as well. And that, that was something, I don't know, we just discovered it and it was exciting at that time. I love that journey into puppetry. Well, we're, we're being told we need to take a break. So we're going to take that little break. And, oh, great. Uh, so, oh, Sarah, look, we're just being transparent here. You know, why, why not? Super smooth transition, Josh. Super <laughs> smooth. Well, we're, we're laying all the cards on the table here. But uh, here at the Puppet Pod, we will be back with more Storm Thomas in just a second. This podcast is supported by the Silver Lake Brewing Project, a locally owned independent brewery in Perry, New York. Every day is like Christmas morning when you unwrap the bold but clean flavor profiles of their rustic farmhouse style craft beers. And with 11 of their own beers on tap available in the tap room or for curbside pickup, you'll be caroling along with their 11 craft beer styles of Christmas. 11 sours puckering, 10 brown ales malting, 9 pale ales hopping, 8 mixed fermentations, 7 kolsch's lagering, 6 goza's salting, 5 IPAs, 4 Belgian blondes, 3 pilsners, 2 chocolate stouts, and a standard cream ale. For more information, visit silverlakebrewingproject.com. That's silverlakebrewingproject.com. And we are back with more of the highly transparent puppet pod. Uh, Sarah said we had to come back, so we are back. I hope you like that transition, Sarah, as well. Wow. Uh, maybe that was even less smooth than the first one. That's me. I need I need to shave. Very start unsmooth calling you, right now. Start calling you X-Lax because you're so smooth. All right. Well, nice. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Don't no, thank you. That one thank you. Storm. My God. But well, one thing that we were actually talking about in the break was this idea of love languages. Because Sarah, you heard something that Storm had mentioned uh, about uh, technological things that you were like, "Oh, that's my jam." And then I started this conversation about love languages. Mm, love languages. Love languages. My mom read that original book and she came to our family when, and I mean, I was, I felt young and just came asking us, well, what's your love language? What's your love language? And with the five defining um, love languages from the book, which is quality time, works, words of affirmation, gifts. And there's another one. Doesn't it, somebody tell me what it is. Quality time, works, words of affirmation, gifts. Is touch one? Yes. Yes. Physi physical touch. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, 
honestly, it's kind of one of my party tricks that I bring out, you know, in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, Gowanus, we're at a house party. I'm like, pop, 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 pop. What's your love language? Okay. What's your parents' love language? Because I feel that, I mean, I feel like it, (laughs) I feel like it changed society in the sense that it was the first kind of discourse around how do you love that came out into the mainstream, that popped its little head out into the mainstream. And for right or wrong, personally, I never read the book. I didn't feel like I need to because I already know these are the five love languages that this book describes, even though I already know there are other love languages. And the way the book describes it is um, might be potentially flat, but I already know, okay, my love language is... Good question. My love language, I think, <laughs> words of affirmation. That's what makes mm. me feel loved. Yeah. But when I'm giving love, I'm always all day giving works. I did this for you. I pulled out this chair. I built this box. I, you know, fixed your car, whatever. Went to the grocery store. But when I think about it, I know that the reason why I give love that way is because that's how my dad gives love. Mm. And he told us, this is what love is. When you love somebody, you do something for them. And if you, if you love somebody and you don't do anything for them, that is fucked up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he definitely didn't use those words, Pastor Bill. But, uh, <laughs> but that, I mean, I feel like that was something that we really, I mean, I really soaked up. So when I really, really think about it, it's works. But even still, what I give as love is actually still words of affirmation. And mm. for me, that's where it is. But I know for other people, it's, it can be wildly different. So I've always loved that. I mean, Josh, honestly, I would love to know what your love language is, even though I, th- mm. I think I already know. But go well, ahead. I, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think it is. And I don't know if, who should go first. Um, you. Me? Okay. Um, I think mine is also works. Like I like to do things. I like to do, do things it. for people. Um, and, you know, whatever that is, make a dinner or, you know, build a thing or, yeah, you know, stand up and, you know, and that's face what you a give. thing or whatever. Yeah. That's what you give. Mm-hmm. What do you like to receive? How do you feel the most loved? I like touch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you read that? You read me I like know a that. I know that of you. Well, um, yeah. Sarah, tell me, besides single board computing and coding, what are your love <laughs> like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, while I really like that beautiful, beautiful code, um, I think I give through works for sure. Um, sometimes detrimentally. Sure. Because I'll like give more than I sure. possibly can can do. Um, in terms of like, I don't know, I guess. I think for me, it's probably like quality time. I like someone set like putting time out of their day for me. I totally. think that's so important. Quality time, I think, is a really important love language that I think everybody speaks, even if it's not maybe their main Mm-hmm. For sure, because yeah. when somebody said, I mean, we live in a world that's based on wage labor, uh, the metaphor of time is money. 
Mm-hmm. So when right. somebody sets aside time for you, even if, especially when you're not doing anything specific, that I think it can feel so um, generous. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great, I love yeah. that. I mean, I love that about you. I, yeah, it's, and it's so funny. I think too, like, if if we're thinking back to like our parents, I think my mom was always like, kind of a mix of all of them, which is kind of funny. Like, yes, my mom is such a lovable, like open person, especially with her like feelings and emotions. I think too, it was just like, uh, I don't know. It's, I would think that I would be the same way, but I'm, I'm certainly not, but I don't know. I, were you, did I mean, your, so you said question. your mom was that way? My mom? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. no, no, my mom, my mom is quality time nice. for sure. She wants That's to watch giving? Grey's Anatomy with you with, I mean, what she receives, what she receives. Gotcha. She wants to watch Grey's Anatomy. I mean, maybe the, me- maybe the metaphorical story is like, okay, my dad's out there fixing the car for her because he loves her, but she's sitting inside saying, well, I really want you to just sit next to me and I'm going to touch your head. He's bald. I'm going to, I'm going to touch your head and I'm going to love you up while we watch this show that I know you don't care about and it's not good itself, you know, but I, but I do think you're hitting on something that's really important, which is that whatever the book says, I don't know. I didn't even read it. But I know everybody <laughs> speaks each love language. Sure, and yeah. so as you continue to discuss it at a, at a party, for example, you always come to this place where it's like, oh, well, I can't just pick one or my mom's all of them or whatever. And you, and you start to see that what it is to be a human is to actually speak all of them in varying degrees. Mm-hmm. And so when you match with somebody, it it may or may not be like exactly a right match. And so you can go in and you can fine tune your love languages. I'm going to work on my quality time because mm-hmm. I like to give gifts, but the person, so the person across from me, the gift they want is quality time. They all run into each other. They all kind of Venn diagram around in, in like a, in like a flower. I don't know. Um, but I Good think additional, I like thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Additionally, I think industries could be well served by this. I venture a guess to say a ton of people in the puppetry world are works, that they give love by works. And that led them to take the time to build, to build something for the audience, for the people, I'm doing quotes, kind of capital T, capital P, um, whoever that is for you to sit there and build something full of such um, intricate pieces, building over layer and layer an overall metaphor it is a gift. It is also a work. It is also quality time. You know what I mean? When, you, when, when an audience member sees you physically interacting with the puppet or the puppetry world, they're seeing affection. You know what I mean? Words of affirmation, the text in the play, I always have felt that industries draw to them people who have certain love languages who are who are compelled to care about the world in a specific way. 
And so it doesn't surprise me to be for myself as a, as a works person to have found myself in puppetry um, or to have found myself in engineering or to have found myself, I mean, really the main kind of squeeze, main squeeze that I'm in right now is musical theater. It's been my passion, of course, since I was a kid, but I didn't study it. And it wasn't until I came out of Sarah Lawrence and I met up with a certain teacher there and started kind of flexing my wings, I was able to braid into my theater work the music that I've always been doing. My, we mentioned before, my dad's a pastor in Los Angeles, Southern California, Santa Monica, whoop, whoop. And um, we, my, me and my siblings, were the church band. So I started out playing the drum set with my siblings for, and I think it's important to mention this because my father's church is deeply unlike every other church I've ever seen in that they do not seek to um, pander to a middle class. My father's church is 100% homeless in my family and other people who are coming to be a part of that. You know, I went to church every day before high school and fed 200 people. And that makes me who I am. And music was always a part of that. And so kind of coming on my way out of Sarah Lawrence, I, I, I just barely started being able to pull all these different pieces of my life into the same form. And that form was musical theater, which has puppetry in it for me, but is not necessarily the puppetry world in, in and of itself. And, and so I feel like that's really where I'm working right now in, in finding a, a, finding a medium, which I think is musical theater, that can ultimately house all of my interests, including engineering, including puppetry, including music, including writing, and for it to not be clunky or... Um, mm-hmm. Oh, right. Musicals, I think, are um, in some ways kind of a, a pinnacle of, of human creation. And that's to me because it, I think it's it's like interdisciplinary, intersectional with a capital I. It's not just about bringing them together. They're, they're already supposed to be together. Music, text, book, blah di da di da But it's, bring, it's how you bring it together. That's what makes a musical. And so the how, that extra step past intersectionality as a simple fact is what kind of makes me come alive as an artist right now or in the last few years. And I feel proud. I feel proud to be in the, in the musical theater world right now with the changes that are happening and with the people that are kind of coming up now and i feel excited about that i feel excited about you storm thomas as a love language i think you are a love language thank you (laughs) and i really love the application of that idea toward art forms and and puppetry specifically because that started to get me thinking about like the touch aspect of it and how you know we are having to be in such close proximity with one another in order to do a lot of forms of puppetry. And we're always touching each other and feeling one another and communicating through that touch. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really exciting. But also I think the moment we decide to stop touching the object or the puppet, 
and then the audience sees the life then leave that object. Totally. And that moment of touch is a love language, I feel like, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it, it's just so so interesting to kind of hear those things kind of put next to one another. I made a piece when I was in grad school. I mean, it was entitled piece. I don't remember the year, whatever. Um, but I, you know, one moment in many moments, I was meditating on just black death in this country, how, how often it occurs, how um, deeply, I don't know how to say this in the right way, but like deeply unempathetic people can be towards the fact. So I made this puppet um, and I put, a, I put a hoodie on, a black hoodie on, this puppet, it was a, a simple, 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 almost, almost 2D, but not quite 2D puppet. And when it came time to perform, I brought the puppet out. It did a few things. And then what I did was I broke the puppet in half. It was just a, a small dowel actually holding the spine. And, and in that moment, I, as a performer, I did feel like I heard the audience kind of um, gasp or, or be taken aback. And I, I felt at the time that it, it achieved the goals that I, that I wanted to achieve because I felt that that gasp, that it, sh it showed how deeply the physicalizing of that, of that fact of America brought it home brought it, um, and by home, I mean, past the outside, past the epidermis, into the heart of the matter and also to the heart of the person. And when you can tie that string together, that, that's where you find success. What is success? Success is when people shift even slightly on their own accord. That's how I feel about it. I think when you bully someone into feeling like, you should care about black people. They're never going, they're never going to, honestly. But but when you can show that you already care about black people and you have to shut something down to pretend like you don't, that's where people, I think, kind of start to, for me, start to open up a little bit to the idea. And so, I mean, that's just a piece that I feel is a strong metaphor for what I feel like is valuable about puppetry as a modern form is that it's it's physical metaphors i mean i would i feel like in this moment with george floyd that piece would be just as relevant relevant how much longer in our life will there be another time in which it's just as relevant you know i mean we can't go a day two days three days how many days can you go without and it's without not just police brutality, which is itself a, a, a devastating engine towards Black death, but what is it to be in this country and to live your life under the foot, the boot itself of racism and how that affects your mental health, how that affects your physical body and, and how those things ultimately result in Black death that is as equally devastating and as equally absurd as police officers killing black people. It's just not, 
it's not how it should be. And it's not the end of our society. We are not, humanity has not reached its peak because people are still suffering. And that's how, that's what I feel like is the most important kind of um, goal for each of us, all of us to be focusing on is how can we build things? How can we make relationships that enforce generational change so that our children, our children's children, generation B, generation C, how are they going to, how are they going to be able to kind of bust out of the framework that we see as definitive of humanity and build something new? How can we set them up to do that? Even if we can't do that ourselves, if we can't convince everybody in this, in this world to, um, to value life the same way we do, but we can teach our children and we can, we can teach our children how to teach children. And, and in there, I find value. Um, you know, children born after, I don't know, 2000, 2016 or something like that are generation alpha. My child is generation alpha. Like we've gone through the whole alphabet and now we're starting anew. And in that sense, I feel that it is even more so important that we are imparting to this generation what it is to communicate, what it is to communicate itself, not about not communicate this idea or that idea, whatever, but what it is to communicate so that when they come up and they are entering the political sphere, the entire framework of the political conversation is itself changed because we're not gonna be able to fix what we have now unless the, the way the conversation happens is different. And I think puppetry is a valuable piece in that. I think the physical nature of performance art teaches something that is so deeply valuable to humanity. I mean, we can't, we can't live without it. If we could live without it, don't you think we would? But we can't. We literally can't. Even the first cave painting, it's like a compulsion, an inescapable fact of human is, humans are that they make stuff. They like make stuff. And I love that. I love that too, Storm Thomas. Um, <laughs> and I, yes, everything you said, I am hundred percent behind and you're right how we communicate about these things really and truly is how we can start to move forward in so many ways and um yeah i mean the conversation's wrong yeah 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 um well why don't we take another quick break and we'll come back with some more of the incredible storm thomas This episode is brought to you by Buttermeat Co., a company and shop started by dairy farmers who realize the importance of delicious beef that happens to be environmentally friendly. Buttermeat Co. produces local organic beef from cows who have lived their lives to the absolute fullest. Buttermeat cows produce over 80,000 pounds of milk, cheese, butter, and beef. That's a lot more than the mere 600 pounds from a regular beef cow. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. Through the thoughtful and unique supply chain, Buttermeat Co. provides an elevated culinary experience like you've never tasted before. So elevated that you might say culinary? No, actually I won't. 
Owner Jill Gould is an exceptional human being looking to bring exceptional products to our exceptional community. But not just to Western New York, Jill can ship anywhere in the Northeast. So yeah, New York City listeners, we can get you some butter meat. And if you're not a meat eater, Jill carries a lot of other products like local cheeses, eggs, spices, milk, and my personal favorite, coffee. So for more information, visit buttermeatco.com or check her out on social media at buttermeatco. For an exceptional culinary experience. No. Okay. We are back with a very serious segment three That's of the Puppet Pod with the very serious Storm Thomas. So serious. <laughs> Storm, um, there's so much more I still want to talk to you about, but I wonder if maybe we can talk about um, this thing. Um, since we are kind of been already talking about social justice. You and I kind of had a brief conversation about a month ago about this idea of um, you being a little bit turned off by puppetry in the field and this idea of accessibility being part and parcel of that reasoning. And I wondered if maybe you could talk a little bit about why you've veered away a bit. Honestly, (laughs) I'd love to, honestly. Well, I would say that I don't feel turned off by puppetry. I feel very passionate about puppetry, but I don't feel that I can call myself a puppet maker or a puppeteer anymore in my life. One part of that is because other pieces of my artistry have kind of bubbled to the surface, playwright, composer, that kind of thing. And then the other side of it is my experience, especially since coming out of grad school and kind of trying to dip into the puppetry world of New York. I mean, many, many a time I've sat in the audience or sat backstage waiting for a performance and looked around and been the only black person there. And that's all well and fine. I mean, I might be the only black person in a class or in this room or that room or, um, you know, maybe in a family room of my own. That's not it. But when I sat down and I thought to myself about what people have done um, who perceive me as Black artists and in this country and what they face, what they've been working towards, I came to the conclusion that I had to step away from this world because there are a couple of key pieces that haven't been working for me. I don't like be, I don't like being in a room where I'm the the only black person. And it's my own emotions, but it's also the perceived values of the people around me. Does anybody else notice that I'm the only black person in this room or is it just me? Um you know, we sat before and and I have no shame in saying that I have a huge passion for young black potentially queer artists that that's like mm, my my real bread and butter butter my truth my um you know come to jesus moment that's what people say about it and when i'm working with these artists these young black queer artists and i sit there and i i'm like oh i'm gonna tell them about puppetry i stop myself because i know that they don't have the tools or the money to do that right, to step into this, not just as a moment, but also as an 
as a as a potential career path, right? How could I tell them, hey, do this thing when I know they're not going to make any money or they're going to be the only black people there or um, the reception for their work itself is lacking in nuance, is um, understated or, or or misunderstood. And as I started to see myself hesitating in that way, taking stock of that, um, I was a little bit painful, honestly. I felt like, well, why did my teachers tell me to go do this when they when they knew there weren't going to be any other people there? Was it that they want they wanted me to, um, you know, whatever, break new ground or bring something to the community that's not there? And 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 I could have, and I could still, and I might still, honestly, but at this moment. Um, not 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 even COVID specific, the year in advance of this and the year in advance of that, I pulled myself away from this community and from this way of making um, as a as like a um, insular thing and decided to take these ideas and bring them into my musical theater work where I could. Um, I mean the 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 things we talked about before, I think are still, they, I still feel that way. It's a pure metaphor. There's huge potential there. Um, and I, and honestly, I've written papers about this in my, in this institution or that institution, this grant program, that pro- grant program. I think that, I think that puppetry could be, could be, I mean, deeply impactful to the, to the, to the like black American youth in this country. Because what it does, it allows you the means to create your own world, your own world in which the characters are treated the way you want them to be treated, in which the the, the world itself is built upon, upon your own assumptions. People can walk on walls, ceilings, police officers don't have to be mean, whatever it is, right? And you also don't need to cast those characters to be black or white or this or that, which already bring in to, into the world that you're creating a certain um, sensibility, a certain sense of logic, right? These characters are raced in this way, which means we're looking at a black piece or we're looking at a white piece or we're looking at a piece that's colorblind. When you are able to work in the world of dragon versus dinosaur versus butterfly, and you don't know which one's gonna win, but then you're able to really um, destabilize, I think certain binary structures that permeate, uh, you know, so much of theater, so, so much of theater. You know, Shakespeare is about do's and don'ts, men's, men and women, death and life. And when you're able to step outside of every single bit of that, then you're able to really kind of um, feather out new possibilities. For me, I feel like making theater work, making making work as an artist, it offers you the opportunity to envision a world that doesn't exist. And if you're able to do that, what you present 
are options, new ways to think about things or new tactics, new ways to move forward. And so the passion is still there, but the access is not. And it hurts my feelings. I think that there are a lot of things that could be done to shift the nature of the American puppetry community 100%. And I think a lot of times the response is, well, well, you should change it. But I don't think that's my job, honestly. When you set up a situation which I feel comfortable, I'll be there all day. And you're going to love it. I'm going to be funny and fun and exciting and bring a lot of fucking shit to the table. But I'm not going to build the table. I'm not going to build the table because, because if I build the table, then it means nothing. It means that I built a table that everybody's going to come and sit at, but nobody else knows how to build the table that people come and sit at. I know how to build a table. I already know how to build a table. You know what I'm saying? I already know how to build community within the black, within our community, um, all kinds of communities, the queer community, the black community, the trans community. I already do that. So when I look at the puppetry community, I do say to myself, well, I think there's something that you need to prove. And as, as the new kid on the block in a certain way, now, I want to also say this caveat, which is like, I don't think the theater world's done this either. I don't think the musicals world has done it either. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but when I sit down at the table and I put down all my options, these are, the, these are the decisions that I've made and these are the reasons why I've made them. There are other Black people in the world who make completely different decisions for me, right? And I think we need to make sure to keep that wide open for diversity, right? We're a diaspora community. We don't, we don't speak the same, we don't think the same. If you ask one person what is black, they'll give you an answer. And you ask the next person what is black, it'll be a different answer. And so when we are able to see the true depth to the community, I think we see that, okay, maybe this is where this person has decided, this black person has decided, I'm gonna, I'm going to put this buffet out for my community over here and where I feel compelled at this moment is, um, you know, over here in this musicals world. However, honestly, I do feel like I'm waiting. Like when it is, um, when it's opened up to me in a way that I can see, I can feel the work that's already been done. I'll be there, I will be there because there is power in, in the form itself. There's power in the form itself and, and, and it's taking off in a completely different direction from when it started, right? We have Punch and Judy, we have this in America, but then we see puppetry coming up through um, higher education, communities coming out of higher education, which are predominantly white institutions almost all across the country. And, I have um I have hope. I have hope, even though I, I've taken a break. One of the things I would love to also pick your brain about, um, because all of that is incredible, and I hope people listen to this episode too, um, hear all of those things that you just said, um, because it is, I think, 
our responsibility to build the table. Like you said, you are 100% right there. Um, and these larger cultural institutions to do that and make it feel more welcoming and fix some of these things that they have put in place. Um, but one of the things that you and I both were able to work on, and you know, I'm thrilled that you said yes to this a million years ago, was this idea of finding ways to use puppetry um, to help you know, certain communities. And specifically, this was um, communities of seniors living with Alzheimer's and dementia and uh, a program that you really helped me build and get off the ground. And, you know, we're, we're so kind to say yes to a really difficult and crazy thing. But I'm curious to know what your experience was like working with these seniors and people certainly with a... Uh, a myriad of, of, of difficulties, you know, memory notwithstanding, but, you know, we, we were able to go in there and I think do something really, really uh, helpful. And, and I'm curious. Totally. I mean, we changed, we changed the, we changed lives. Now those people might even, might not even know that we changed them tomorrow or the next day. And I feel that this sense of, generosity of the of the warper program itself is what drew me to it it's what allowed me to say an emphatic yes and to feel um proud of that it's it i'm honestly that work is one of the things i feel the most proud of and when i think about it i mean i get so emotional and sometimes i look back on those pictures and those people and i miss them a lot because we got so close and I feel that being in that memory care unit, those people, they're not my grandparent, you know, they're not my blood, but to just be hands dirty in the mess of it every single day, I felt like a grandchild. I felt that the bond that we built kind of surpassed what it is to just like be in a program and it moved into what is it to be in a true relationship with these people um you know and I can't even remember we had a participant who turned 101 do you remember and that per that participant's puppet we built these puppets I mean the head and the body we built them out of like paper and duct tape and then we painted them. And I loved that painting process. That was the most exciting part because people who were not in the memory care unit that we worked with, they made puppets that were people, skin colors, lips, regular people. But the people who were in the memory care unit, their puppets were blue, they were polka dot, their hair was this and that. And, and I, I could see the abstraction happening of like, what, what is humanity that I, what is the humanity that I'm replicating? And like, how am I going to replicate it? The humanity that I have access to right now is polka dots. And that's what I want to do. And it's simple and it's bloody da whatever, but I want that for my grandparents. I don't want it to feel like, well, you only have a few years left, so why care? 
or, you know, there's nothing else left new on, on this earth for you. I feel that those last moments, especially when you are um, free from these structures that define our mind, right and wrong, yes and no, um, all kinds of structures, when you're free from that, I think you start to discover something that is true about yourself, that is true, 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 true about yourself. And I felt grateful to be a part of those showings, those moments where people were mm, just true. It's impactful. It's powerful. There are people in my life who've, who are in memory care units now who are on their way to memory care units. And I want that for them. I, I want that for them. And I want it for myself. I want to get back in that program. It's just so powerful. Um, if, if, you're, if you're an institution which houses people in a memory care unit and you don't have a puppetry program, do it. Okay, get in there. It's really powerful. Well, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, when Shirley Kaplan, holler out to Shirley Kaplan at Sarah Lawrence, um, when she suggested, you know, hey, maybe you should make this a puppetry program when you're working with this population, which, you know, I kind of always had this group of people in mind because of, you know, family history and, you know, my own kind of personal ties to it. But she had kind of pushed me toward puppetry and I was like I don't know if puppetry is gonna work but it works for so many reasons and you know maybe going in like some of the very obvious ones like muscle memory is a thing and you get people to be physical but then when you get into the nitty-gritty of building you're starting to work on fine motor skills and things that tend to erode Mm. you know with with dementia and Alzheimer's and then also in the making of stuff, like you were saying in the painting part, people would socialize because we're all sitting around making stuff around a table and you and I are bopping around and we're helping people who maybe needed a little more assistance with their hands. And then we start hearing all their stories and then they start like sharing them back and forth and sharing jokes. And then you having like this real community experience and really seeing their personalities come out. And then we kind of get to this moment where like, okay, if we're going to create some sort of performance or a showcase is kind of a better word for Mm. it, right? What do we do with a group of people who have difficulty remembering things um, and creating these like little signpost moments where we can go from an A to a B, but how we fill in the middle, we kind of leave it a little bit open, but we're able to use some of those things that we discovered in the socialization moments to know like oh Jeanette you sing opera you are an opera singer we're gonna lob you that little softball and then you're gonna hit it out of the park you know when the moment comes because you remember those things they are there they're always there and you just have to pull them out of people right um and it would have been a mistake to say well we're gonna build our performance around the fact that nobody can remember anything Sure. I think that would have been a mistake. It's an undercut or, or right. yeah. And I feel that asking them to do that process of remembering this, remembering this performance, it's, it's a huge confidence build. And we could see that in, in, in those participant performers after the show, I remember all of that. 
Yeah, love language, right? They got words of affirmation exactly. right? from their family members. So much, yeah. so much, so much. And that quality time that we spend is about, is it, I mean, it's a gift that we give generously in hopes that not that you perform well or that you build a certain kind of puppet, but that you have a good time. And that is building confidence, but it's not just about confidence, about like a lust for life. We want that, that, that like taste for experiences to be super strong in people, especially as they're getting older. And that's where we should especially be giving extra attention to how can we keep it alive? How can we keep that, that desire for new experiences alive? Um, yeah, I feel really proud of that work. It goes into like the, Josh has talked about like the total making aspect of puppetry in, you know, past episodes, but how that applies to the uh, memory center work. I mean, you, you have so much that goes into creating puppet pieces and theater pieces. You know, you have to think about all of those things. And once you get you know, people who are making it to think about those things just as much, just maybe in a different way, you know, it, it, it's no wonder why, you know, these details about these, about their personalities start to come out because all of a sudden they're employing all of these different faculties to create a story. That's so cool. That's just so cool. You remember the sunglasses? That's something I think about a lot. Oh man. Everybody put on those black Ray-Bans for a piece of the performance and, Something about that, I think, kind of triggered in everybody that feeling yeah. of cool. <laughs> and it just washed yeah. over. Everybody was like, mm, yeah. They, like, sunk in a little bit to that, like, mood. Hey, and, yeah. You know? And that's, again, just, like, saying yes to a moment, right? I think, like, I had glasses. I put them on one participant. She looked incredible. And they were like, man. And then other people started responding to, like, how good they looked. And we were like, you know what? maybe we should get everybody a pair of these things. And then you wrote them this like beautiful poem that was like hip hop inspired poem that they all kind of like performed to. And it was just, you know, listening to them in that moment and just responding and saying yes. Yeah, they wanted it. They wanted to do it. That's why I wrote it. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know what? Okay, I will write this for you because you deserve it. You deserve it. I mean, I think our old, I think our people who are older, I think they deserve every respect, every, every bit of patience, every bit of um, honesty and intention. Well, uh, just as much as our youth. They've earned it, right? You, you work exactly. your entire life and build so many things. And the hope is you can enjoy those later years and not be kind of thrown to the side because you're no longer a useful cog in capitalism, right? Yes. Yes. All day. I could talk about that. Yes. Well, Storm, this has been incredible and amazing. And we haven't even gotten to your life as a a slam poet and and, uh, poetry artist. I Um, gave it up. But um, what I do want to do is uh, we do a segment uh, that we call the Puppet Hot Pot. The Puppet Hot in which we uh, put an artist like yourself into a rapid-fire series of questions with a rapid-fire series of answers. Are you willing to jump into the Puppet Hop Hop? Okay, 100%. All right. 
puppetry hotspot coming at you. There it is. That's, that's even better. Here we go. Question number one. Uh, what is your favorite form of either art or puppetry right now? Of art, I would say sculpture. Of right. art, definitely. Nice. Um, have you developed any new hobbies in this quarantine time? Mm, that's great question. No. <laughs> I haven't, but I have really deep, deep dived into the interests I already had. <laughs> Amazing. No, 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 no. Canoeing. Oh yeah! Canoeing. Yes. Same. You know, I'm an urban friend. I do not canoe, but I did a lot. That's awesome. Um, favorite place in the world that your work has taken you, or memorable, uh, a memorable place? Honestly, Warburg. Yeah. Upper, 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 what is it called? Westchester. Mount Vernon, New York. Mount Vernon. Hell yeah. Shout out to Anne Fry. Anne Fry, if you're listening. Woo, woo. Uh, love yeah. you, love you. Um, what has been, uh, or sorry, what has being a parent taught you? How to listen. For sure. I mean, it's like kids, they're even before they're talking, they're talking. And if you're not listening, it, it's going to be a tough day for you. That's fantastic. The more you listen, the more smooth the whole family goes. Like x lax right, sir? Just like <laughs> x lax uh, Just like Jack <laughs> Um... <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, Storm, is there a memorable either puppetry or theater like war story you have of something going terribly wrong on stage and having to get through it? Definitely. When I was doing this show, I was a performer. I played the mandolin in this show called Futurity. There was all of these wooden kind of like pieces that were... um, that were like popped into a metal frame, almost like a scaffolding, which was creating the backdrop for the set. And it was very exciting. Ooh, yes, glue, screens, holes, whatever. One time, one of those. I mean, we had to like run up the scaffolding and like grab these pieces and pull them in. It was dangerous. One of them fell on one of them, like, like just grazed one of the um, musicians' stand-up bass, which is like a $25,000 instrument. And that was, I mean, it was devastating, super crazy. We kept going. And then at halftime, what is it called? Intermission. Uh, Intermission. (laughs) It was like... Everybody had to be like, what happened? Was that your palette? Was that my palette? It was a crazy situation, I felt. Um, I mean, he could have died, but he didn't. <laughs> I have a similar st- I have a similar story working with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. And in uh, the show, part of the show, a lot of the musicians stood up and ran around to different chairs, which, you know, typically orchestras just kind of sit and they don't do anything. And... Yeah, that's experimental. And in the moving around, a woman's violin fell on the ground and it like broke. And everything, every musician, everything stopped. And then they looked at her. And then this person like 
grabbed her by the shoulder and she picked up her like broken thing and she just kind of looked at everyone very sullen and then she was taken away as if like she was being taken away because she was worth nothing anymore and was like okay well now we gotta go put her down and then like the the the, the, the conductor kind of looked at everyone and was like well shit happens we're gonna pick it up for measure 36 here we go one two three and we're just like oh my god what just happened this moment was so intense wow yeah instruments i mean i think musicians should always be able to move and when you start moving with instruments it's like a lot could happen that's right bug yourself in all right next question what do you want to be when you grow up a musical theater maker love it and then finally an engineer an engineer a musical theater maker and engineer i like that engineering musical theater yep if you had a wish for the world what would that be i wish for the world that people humans could learn how to have a conversation that is about um, moving, moving, moving forward. It's about listening. I think people get together and they have discussions or arguments, but they're not even talking to each other. They're saying like congruent statements in a row. I think that plagues humanity so, so tough. It's hard to hear a statement and to acknowledge it and hear it and then respond to it as opposed to responding basically to yourself about the statement that they made. That's what I think. But I think we're on the way. I think we're on the way. Uh, Storm Thomas, I thank you so much. I thank you so much. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thank you no, so I thank much. You. Oh, no, 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 no. So much. Uh, it's a delight. You're the best. It's a delight to, uh, talk with you more in depth. I'm glad the humans who are listening got to, uh, get some real church with you and, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what's next in Storm Thomas's world. Hallelujah. Um, if there's, uh, do you want anybody to like check out any work that you're doing online or follow you anywhere? We could do a plug of anything. Okay, great. Um, I'll be working, I'm working on Be Like Bone with the Musical Theater Factory for their makers program this starting this fall and for the next 18 months, which is surprisingly going to be all online. So look out for that. We're going to be kind of taking the content that we have and figuring out how does it belong in this world that we have now. And so that's exciting. Uh, and I'm feeling proud of what we've been doing so far. Amazing. I'm excited for that opportunity for you, and I'm excited for the opportunity for me to see it when it's ready to be seen by the world. Cool. All right, Storm. Thank you so much. No, no, back at you, my friends. Uh, so lucky to be able to call you that. And uh, thanks, everybody. Bye bye. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Forgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. 
Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. <laughs>